0: Welcome to Money Metaphors, exploring financial concepts through stories and analogies, with Jason Coddington from Coddington Wealth Advisors. In this podcast, we help families and small business owners like you navigate the world of finance. Our goal? To help you stress less and enjoy life more, all while leaving a lasting legacy. Join us for this journey, where we explore the nuances of goal-based asset management, retirement. And estate planning strategies as Jason and his team draw from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the puzzle of effective financial management.
1: And welcome to the Money Metaphors podcast with your host Jason Connington. Jason, good to be with you again. So what's in store for listeners this week?
2: Well, I think uh, this week we're going to tackle college education planning. And so Colleges uh, planning is an important topic for most individuals we work with, and uh, most people today um, find that it's probably one of the the most expensive financial things in their lifetime. You know, there's purchasing a home, there's retiring, but uh, college is right up there. And so we want to empower people to have the resources to not only save for college Mm -hmm. education, but save on college education. So that's what's in store today.
1: Oh, good, I'm looking forward to that conversation. As somebody who is looking at college education for his kids in the rearview mirror, I'm probably going to hear a lot of things that I wish I'd known beforehand, but lead us, lead us on, Jason. Yeah, so I think,
2: um, you know, well, there's just some crazy stats out there, right? So in the last, you know, 15 years or so, there's been a 330% increase in student loan debt. You know, in the last 10 years, a four year institute into in state tuition has increased 23%. You know, and then there's this whole thing about, you know, many parents just think their kid's going to get a free ride. Mm. Well, 0.3% of students get a free ride. Just to be
1: clear, that's less, that's a third of 1%. Yeah. One
2: third of 1%. Not a whole lot. So, you know, every little league uh, field in America, you know, thinks that the other kid's going to go be a D1, D1 grad. And that just doesn't, it's not, it's not normal. So we have to plan for that. And so there's a lot of, you know, and I think the other thing is that what most people discount when they look at planning for college is the impact it can have on planning for retirement, because it takes, if you don't do it appropriately, it'll take resources away from planning for retirement and delay that for individuals and families. And so know we see that so in we see planning for college education you know most parents want to be the heroes uh to their kids and help provide them with an education for their future Mm -hmm. And, and that's noble but at the same you know time they need some guidance and we want to be that guide to help them be the heroes to their kids and uh so that's what we want to embark on today through some strategies and uh to do that i've invited a guest uh, Roger Laurel with Collegiate Funding Solutions, and he will uh, help explore some of these topics in more detail, so that when you get done with this podcast, you're an empowered, informed buyer of college education.
1: Excellent. Well, let's get on. I'm 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 all ears. So yeah. So in in that
2: regard, I've I've asked a guest speaker to come on today to talk about some of the ways to save on college education, and uh, his name is Roger Laurel, and he is uh, associated with Collegiate. Funding solutions. So we thank you, Roger, for joining us. And he's going to have a dialogue with us and um, tell us a little about yourself. And, you know, you're also a parent of some students going through this. So it's not just theoretical for you. So go ahead and uh, let us know, Roger, what, how you might be able to help us today and a little bit about yourself.
3: All right. Well, thank you, Jason, for uh, inviting me to participate in your podcast here. It's my pleasure to uh, join your audience today and to talk about a topic that's uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, in a couple of different ways Uh, first of all as the uh, president of this company collegiate funding solutions we've been around for over 20 years now uh providing um our our clients are primarily financial advisors and financial organizations of course it's people like yourself that are dealing with uh families on all sorts of financial matters probably mostly retirement planning but but uh As we're going to get deeper and deeper into this, uh, you know, college uh, and retirement are very integrally connected. And so, um, but what we essentially have been doing for many years is providing advisors with capability and support, resources, education to help them help their clients save on and not just for the cost of a college education. So that's sort of our mission as a company, our guiding principle here. Again, it's been the same for over 20 years, helping families save on and not just for the cost of college. Because the big issue uh, that we uh, discovered many years ago is is not so much saving for college, which most people weren't doing anyway, but was finding a way to control the cost of college as the cost of a college education would consistently and relentlessly go up and up and up. And people were under more and more pressure to cover the cost of a college education without compromising all their other, all their other financial goals right in other words without going broke in the process pay for college without going broke in the process and that is that has just become a bigger uh, and more compelling issue over the years and so uh, you know, our mission is is to help uh, families sort of avoid that you know very difficult situation by empowering them uh, with the information actionable information they need to become what we call informed buyers of a college education so i think to some extent what we can do here terms of uh, helping folks move the ball forward a little bit. It's helping them become better informed buyers of a college education. Uh, Apart from being the owner of this company uh, and all that goes along with that, I'm also a parent. I've got five kids. Uh, My oldest is a senior in high school. And so I am seeing this whole paying for college and, and sending a child off to college from a whole different light. It's much more personal to me now than it ever was before. And I can understand why so many people, especially when the kids get into the later years of high school, are feeling such tremendous pressure, and and unfortunately, it's a lot worse than it was when I was going through college. I mean, you know, there's so much pressure on kids and families to, you know, go to college and get a college education, and and again, it's just a difficult situ- situation and and time for many families. And so, you know, we're feeling that as well. I guess the good news for us is I don't feel like I'm going into this thing blindly. I feel very at peace with what we're going to be able to do to be informed buyers of the college education and get the best possible deal for my, you know, my daughter and for uh, our finances. So I, that's a little bit about me and my uh, business and personal situation.
2: Yeah. Good deal. Well, thank you. And you know, that's, and I didn't mention that earlier. I I'm kind of in the throes of it as well. I have a a daughter uh, who graduated uh, from Fresno state and she's now a second grade teacher, which is great. And she was a swimmer. So she was an athlete. So we know what that experience is like. And she went to uh, first private and then transferred to public uh, education. And then um, my I have a daughter that's at Point Loma, uh, which is a private school in San Diego. Currently, uh, she's in her senior year and a uh, totally different experience, not an athlete, a uh, small school, great experience there. Um, that campus, of course, is beautiful right in San Diego. And then I have a son who's a junior in high school. So we're kind of going through it all over again because you're kind of, you know, junior year for all colleges is, is some that's where everything really kind of amps up. Mm-hmm. So it's not unique. So uh, again, but enough about us. I think, you know, probably we'll start talking about some strategies to help. One thing I want to make sure we address today, it doesn't have to be the first thing, is there's some upcoming changes in 2023 that some families should be aware of. I want to make sure we address. And that's uh, has to do with, you know, if you own a business, do those assets count or do they not count? And then of course, you know, the multiple children, you having five, um, me of course having the three, but you know, two might be in at the same time still, you know, you might lose there's an adjustment that used to be it used to get a credit for having multiple children in, in college and that's kind of gone away. So I don't make sure we talk about that. But what would you say is the number one thing to start with if you're going to look at saving on college, on the cost of college? Oh,
3: that's a great question. I think it's a philosophical uh, thing. I think people have to understand the relationship between the college, which is the seller of education, and the parent or the uh, and the family that are buyers of a college education. It's really no different than any other sort of buyer-seller arrangement. Where uh, you know somebody's selling something. In this case, it's college education, and somebody's buying something. In this case, it's it's uh, buying the college education. So you got the buyers and the sellers. And generally, when you're looking at a very expensive purchase, people want to be very educated about what they can do to control the cost of whatever that purchase is. It's just a weird, it's just a weird thing when it comes to college. And and I'm not sure I exactly know uh, what the reason for this is, but people go into it very blindly. They just think that you know college is something that they're going to have to like bite the bullet and, you know, pay whatever they, uh, they can. Some people will will uh, look at this in terms of, you know, what they can afford, but we already know that a lot of people go way beyond their means. And that's why we have so much student loan debt, right? So I think the first thing is just a, a general understanding that, you know, you're a buyer and the more informed that you can be about what you can do to control the costs. And there are many things, we've been doing these things again for over 20 years the more empowered you're going to be and the more you're going to stack the deck in your favor to get the best possible outcome uh, for your student. And that's, you know, a college that's going to be very happy going to and pursuing a program that that makes sense for them, but also from the parent's standpoint, not paying one nickel more than you absolutely have to. And most people can't say that. And and that's what we want to help people uh, to be able to do. So again, I think the number one thing is understanding uh, that buyer seller arrangement.
2: Yeah. Cause it, and it's interesting because you go through school it's you know a K12 if you go public it's there's not there's a pro- of course in California you pay through through property tax if they're going to public education but you know the point there is you're not really doling out additional money for school so you're you're a buyer but you kind of are an it's an intangible buyer whereas when it comes for college you you actually are so you have to switch your hat and reframe your mind because most education in the entire life has been Quote, unquote not necessarily directly out of your pocket indirectly through property taxes if that makes sense
3: well even but, private schools like you know for example my kids go to private high school and there aren't that many in our area right it, this isn't like going to college where you've got essentially the whole country as uh potential yeah, options right now you may not choose to pursue those options but one thing that we may get into here is that the um, and maybe i'll just go ahead and jump into it right now since we're sort of going down this road. So my kids go to a private high school. I can't leverage other private high schools against the high school that my kids go to in order to get a better deal. It doesn't work that way when you send your kids to uh, you know secondary or, or, uh, or high schools, but it actually can work that way for colleges because there are many, many colleges around the country. And again, I'm gonna stick to the buyer and the seller. There are many, many colleges across the country that have been described as buyers. In fact, there's some excellent research that has been done over the last couple of years exactly doing that, designating colleges as buyers and sellers. Well, how do we, what does one mean versus the other? Buyer colleges are colleges that need students to attend there in order to meet their their enrollment goals, right? Financially, it's important for them to attract these kids because of the numbers that are applying, because of the numbers that are accepting, and because of the numbers that are actually attending those schools, they are willing to, and they have enrollment managers that, that have all this specialized expertise that lets them know what it's going to cost to buy students to get them there, either through financial aid or more importantly, through what's called tuition discounts. Those are scholarships. They'll attract families and kids to come to those schools because it's a lot cheaper for a school to give up, let's say, ten dollars to $15,000 a year to a family to get their student there than it is to not have the student there at all. They're going to lose a lot more money then they're giving up. So that's, that's a little insight that people probably didn't even have any idea that that actually occurs, but that's- No,
2: no, that's absolutely, that's not common knowledge. So how, I mean, and we have the resources of course, for that, right?
3: Well, hundred percent. It's one of the things that, that, uh, because that is a, that is a fact, um, you can take that information and you can run with it if you have access to the data. So one of the things that you want to know, and okay, I'm going to make this personal here. One of the things that you want to know, let's say if you got a junior or senior in high school, is you want to know what schools are the buyers and which ones are the sellers. Think of the sellers as like the I-League schools, right? They don't care if your kid comes there or they're they're getting so many more applicants than they're going to take, right? And they get a high percentage of kids that get accepted then end up coming there. They don't have to give out much what we call merit money or tuition discounting to get students to attend those schools. But the reality is those schools are a fraction of the total number. I don't know offhand what's the total number of colleges across the country. We sort of keep track with about, of about 1,800 four-year. These are four-year nonprofit institutions, and there's probably, I don't know, 2,500 colleges across the country, right? Eighty-five to 90 percent of them or more are buyers. Now, we, we're we at a point at time in the landscape where the informed buyer of a college education has never been in a better position, Because if you can identify these schools, they may either be schools that could be a great fit for the student or they could potentially be used as a bargaining chip. And and I'll take that one step a little bit further. You know, my daughter, who I've tried to explain this to uh, a little bit, I've explained her, I said, hey, Catherine, look, we're going to be applying to maybe 15 colleges. And a lot of these schools are not going to be schools you're really going to be interested in going to. But I am strategically identifying those schools uh, for us as a family. Because among one thing, I know those are schools that we are going to get a generous award from, right? Because we're going to take all these different awards that we're going to get from these colleges that you're going to get uh, admitted to. And we're going to start to leverage these things against the schools that you really want to go to. And there's a whole process for doing that. I mean, this stuff has been done for many years by practitioners who know what they're doing, right? Uh, Who have been doing this type of thing for families for many years. It may not be widely known. But trust me, people in the know have been doing this stuff for for years. And that's exactly uh, what we're going to be doing. And I think it's exactly what, what your listeners ought to at least be considering. And if that idea, and I think for most people, that concept does make sense to them, right? I mean, uh, we do that that kind of, of uh, we have that kind of approach in a lot of things that we might by buying a car, perhaps, right? You know, you go, uh, if you're playing one dealer off of another, you got an offer from one, you can take that to the other and say, look, I really want this one. But here's the offer that I've got in paper. It's right here. Can you beat this deal? And if they want your business, they're going to look, you know, hold on a second. Let me go talk to the manager. and They're going to come back and say, well, I'll be darned. You know what? We can beat that deal. It's amazing how they can come up with ways to get a better deal when they know they might lose you otherwise.
2: Yeah, and I think that's a great perspective because I think what's happened as far as college education planning historically is, you know, you open up a savings account, you open up a 529 account or a covered savings account, and you just put money away. And you get, you get to, your, you know, 18 years of age and you just, you have some money and then you go to school, right? I mean, but so that's all, that's where a lot of the focus has been. Um, but these are, you know, this, you know, initially the the strategy of one, knowing that you're a buyer and two, knowing that you have leverage is, is very important. And I think at the end of this podcast, we're going to be sharing one of the takeaways for the audience is there's going to be a link where you'll be able to go access some information and compare colleges and look at different schools, a lot of different resources there. So that's... Um, We'll have that for you as well. One one thing I wanted to to talk about, you talked about getting into school just yesterday. This was published by AP, and there's a student here in California. His name is Stanley Zong. Okay, so his he had a an unweighted GPA of 3.97 and a weighted GPA of 4.42, which means you know he had some AP classes in there, and he scored a 1590 out of 1600 on the SATs. So this is just, this is just merit, right? He, he applied to, he was rejected 16 out of 18 colleges, Stanford, Cal, UCLA. The crazy thing about it is the story goes, you know, Google ended up hiring him. So that's a whole other, but I mean, the point is, is, you know, this guy had stacked the deck academically and apparently, you know, he was not looking just, he was looking at admission, you know, I'm sure he could have gotten some money. Um, but even then with those kind of statistics, you would think you'd get in any school in the country. And it just it's just not that it's not that easy. Yeah, well, here's
3: less, I don't know the facts of that case or anything, but, but let me just make some sort of general comments about that. All right. That GPA is is a good GPA, but you can almost take GPAs and throw them out the window now because tons of kids have 4.0, right? It's not hard to have a 4.0 GPA or even a little higher than that. And the SAT score, very good. However, if this kid's applying to Stanford and and you know Princeton and Cal Tech and and these elite schools, all those kids have super high SAT scores, right? In other words, what potentially was happening here is this kid's applying to all these seller schools, right? And he's not applying to any buyer schools at all, and so that you know perhaps that's what's going on there. Again, I don't know I don't know any more about the facts, the case, and you know why he was being rejected these schools, but I can tell you that what I sort of uh, set out here at the beginning of our conversation about, uh, you know, at a minimum, make sure you're identifying schools that want your student to attend. So let me let me go ahead and, and, and just broaden that a little bit in terms of um, this approach that parents need to take. Right. And that is, you know, making sure that you're you're identifying schools ahead of time. And this is just pl- this is planning. Right. You don't wait until it's your can see in high school to be doing this stuff. You can be doing this stuff uh, in the earlier years and depending on the kind of planning that you're doing, Jason, some of it should be done by the time your kid's a sophomore in high school. And all this ties into the FAFSA that we're going to get into in just a minute. But just from the standpoint of, uh, you know, identifying schools that are a good fit for the student, you should be looking at schools where you, you have some idea that your student is going to be sort of more towards the top of the applicant pool at that school. Some people use 25%. We typically look at the 20% cutoff in terms of, identifying schools where not only is your kid very likely to get admitted to that and to that university but they're very likely to get money from the school right so they want kids that are at the top of the applicant pool and uh again because so many of these schools are 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 buyer schools that doesn't mean the kid has to have a 1500 on his sat you know most kids don't have a 1500 on their sat right i don't know what the average is i think the national average on the act is around a 19 and that probably equates to i don't know maybe a little over a thousand On the SAT score so you should have some ideas families are doing their evaluation finding schools that are going to want their student to attend all right and again those are schools where the kids are going to be more towards the top of the applicant pool you know you need resources Uh, again and this is where analytics and having access into tools certainly the kind of tools that we provide answer these kinds of questions because we know that those things are fundamental to helping families achieve a good outcome right make sure you're at least Identifying schools for consideration where the student is going to be more towards the top of the applicant pool. So
2: good deal. So the two real immediate. I know we got maybe some time constraints here, but we want to tackle two, at least two more things. And for sure, one of them would be the FAFSA, and then the other would be, of course, this whole topic about because I believe my my personal experience with my daughter that went to Point Loma is she had taken the ACT you know, exam, and you know. Point lemma was really good. They had a G she had they had a GPA across the top and then an ACT score or SAT score on the side. You just follow that grid. And when you follow that grid, it would say, all right, well, based on this, this is the amount of age you will likely get. Well, we didn't see that till later, but you know, just, just an extra five points, you know, could have separated us from, you know, maybe a few thousand dollars for saving on education. So I think what's happened lately is some people say, well, the SAT and ACT don't count anymore. Well, they absolutely count for money. And for a kid to you know spend time studying, I think, you know, again, that's not the only way, but that can help. Can you comment a little bit about uh, GPA, weighted GPA and the combination of that with yeah. SAT and ACT?
3: Yeah, I can talk about it from my own fatherly perspective for a daughter that's going through this. Okay first thing i will say is that my my colleagues who really live in this world of of the admissions and the impact of uh, of test scores uh on uh on money okay uh, they've said for uh, the last few years when they went to test optional just because it's optional doesn't mean you shouldn't do it i told my daughter i said look catherine if you're not submitting your sat scores uh it probably means you're not real proud of what the scores are Right, I mean, come on, you know. Otherwise, you're going to be submitting your scores to a uh, to a school. It may not have anything to do with whether you're getting admitted or not, because the reality is that less and less kids are submitting their scores, and the ones who are have higher scores. Right. So it uh, when you can get this data from the schools, and and you'll see this, you know, the range on their SATs might be like, uh, 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 you know, 29 to to you know 33 or 34 on on you know the kids submitting their uh, their scores. So it doesn't mean if you don't submit your test scores, you're not going to get into the school because obviously if only a handful of kids, if let's say 200 out of a thousand that were admitted are submitting their, their test scores, well, obviously 800 kids still got into the school, right? But it all comes down to who's getting the money, who's getting the merit from these colleges, right? And we're, we're in the business of helping people save on, not just for the cost of college, who are getting the better financial aid packages, right? They're going to be the kids that are submitting their test scores where they're in the money at that school. And in fact, this is something else that people can know ahead of time. Again, i want to put in a little plug for your capability because we provided it to you. And that is a family should have an idea ahead of time as to where they kind of sit in the applicant pool at a school so they can know, hey, are we going to be likely in the money uh, at a school based on our, our students' GPA and SAT scores? And if we're short, and this is what happened in our case, if our child is a little bit short, how far short are we of really getting into the money? At that school. And if it's something that's very reasonable amount, you might consider test prep. And that's what we did. You know, we went the route, but it was a very intelligent, informed approach to doing it. Most people have no idea uh, whether or not the test prep that they're that they're uh, engaged in is going to help or not. And it's going to be predicated on uh, a number of variables. And one of those variables is what school are you what schools are you looking at? And what's the threshold? I mean, what's the, what's the benchmark here that we got to get to? It may be too far. Right. It may be you're looking at a school where you know, kids got to raise is, uh, let's say, is uh, SAT score by uh, you know 300 points. You know, that's a big ask. And I don't think most most kids are going to be able to do that. Right. So um, just going into this informed and with knowledge ahead of time just allows families to make better informed decisions. Now, they may just say, hey, you know, after all said and done, we just set on x y you know at this particular school and we're just going to pay whatever it takes and and that's the end of it well so be it you know at least they had access to the information necessary to make an informed decision whether they choose to you know whether they choose to act on that information or not that is completely up to them but i would think from your standpoint as an advisor since you're dealing with people on financial matters there's no one else helping people do this stuff jason They're not going to go to their guidance counselor in their high school. They're not going to go to a college admissions consultant. None of these people have any specialized expertise on the affordability aspect of college. Um, In other words, none of them have that as a primary objective, right? And that's why ideally this sort of help should come through the financial advisor because they're already looking at consequential financial matters like retirement. And and because college and, and retirement are so connected, Anything an advisor can do to help clients save a dollar on college is a dollar that could go into the retirement. And people are definitely not killing it on the retirement savings, are they? You tell
2: no, me? No, no, the national rate's pretty low. So yeah.
3: So, you know, anything that you can do to help people, uh, you know, from an advisor standpoint is really very important.
2: You know, and that kind of brings me, you know, to the you know there's a stat here is, you know, after four years of public education in the average in the United States, the parent typically has the parents typically have twenty nine thousand five hundred of debt the student has about 25,500 of debt so between the family that's another 43,000 that's per kid that's per child so we want to definitely um help al- alleviate that i uh, appreciate what you said yes and of course we're going to have some resources here for that uh, for college education so people can you know go to our website click the link and they can go in there and search they can search by state they can search by they can play with what if my gpa yeah. increases what if yeah. my Um, SAT score increases or ACT score increases and then where that puts them. So it's a great resource we'll have at the end of this call. Tell us a little bit about, because I have this question as well for myself, because we were, um, it was affected, we were affected by it. So when my daughter, my both daughters were in college at the same time, one was a freshman, one was a, a senior. We got a little help because on the economic family contribution that's required, the EFC, which is a common yeah. term client should know. We got a little help because we had two in school at the same time. And one of the uh, crazy things is now, and you'll just kind of tee this up for you to talk about the new changes coming, but that's going away. So it's going it to might be harder or yeah. the economic family contribution might be higher. So yeah. let's talk about some of those changes that are coming in 2024, because that's um, for parents that are... You know, for juniors right now, juniors, seniors, it might be too, for seniors, it's definitely too late. For juniors, sophomores, and freshmen, parents in high school, definitely appropriate to have this conversation. So
3: thanks for bringing that up. Uh, And uh, I recently hosted an educational webinar titled, It Was the Best of Times, It Was the Worst of Times. A little takeoff on Charles Dickens. And the overarching point I think that I made in that webinar is that for those that are informed and know what's going on and, and how to capitalize on opportunities. It can be the best of times. Much of this ties into what I said on the beginning here. There's never been a better time for people to get a great deal. One thing we didn't even get into was there's this declining pool of candidates for college. I mean, there's less kids plan to go to college. All right. So there's this demogra- there's a lot of demographic components and things happening in the landscape, again, that put people in a great position if they know what they're doing. All right. The problem is for the uninformed buyer of a college education. In light of changes that have been made by the Department of Education, they've been coming on the pike for two or three years now. They finally went into effect. For people that don't know what the changes are um, and how they can impact them, there many of them are going to be. There's going to be some wailing and gnashing of teeth. I guess is a certain way to put it. All right, we can go through what some of those uh, some of those key changes are, and maybe the first one is one that you just sort of mentioned. So let me bring it up. Every family, by the way, let me just make a comment in your eyes. I don't care if you're listening and you're making $8 million a year, or you're making $80,000 a year. Every single family should file the FAFSA. And, and I don't have the time to go deep into that. Get with Jason. He can explain to you why that is, all right? If you want a great deal, uh, it might seem counterintuitive, but perhaps even the more money you're making, the more incumbent it is on you to file the FAFSA. People typically thought in the past that, FAFSA was just for, you know, need-based financial aid. That's not true, all right? So assume everybody's going to file the FAFSA that has a college-bound senior. They made some big changes. And for many years, for over 20 years prior to the change, families that had more than one child in college at the same time got a discount. In other words, their uh, family contribution to that, to a particular college was cut in half, All right? So they would submit their FAFSA form, they would get a calculated uh, assessment. Let's say that assessment was $50,000. If they had two kids in college at the same time, one going to uh, Point Loma, is that the name of the school that you're- uh, Yeah, yeah. Point Loma. Point Loma, Fresno State, yeah. In Fresno State. State, right? So instead of it being 50K per kid, it was $25,000 per kid, all right? They took away the discount. This is the most significant and I would say um, hurtful change that was made. This is gonna impact- most families, because most families, at least the ones that I know, and it certainly applies to my family, our kids are not four years apart. They're generally a couple, maybe three years apart. Sometimes you got one stack right after the other, right? So uh, this is a huge impact for families. Now that's for the people who, you know, have no idea that this has changed. Maybe it is what it is for them because they never knew it was any other way. For those who already have kids in college, they might be in for a real rude awakening at the college they're you know, kids are going to when they get their next financial aid package. This is all sort of going to be playing out over time to see how colleges are going to handle situations where the kids are already in school. But I want to talk to the people whose kids are going to be going to college. There are ways to get around this. There are, let's say, about 200 colleges across the country that based on the best information we have available right now, they're still going to offer the student discount. They're still going to offer the discount uh, uh, when you have multiple kids in college at the same time. And you just have to know what, what those colleges are. Those are colleges that I know that you can tell people, you know, who could reach out to the resources that you have. And so I know in our case as a family, because we'll have multiple kids in college, we're going to be certainly identifying and probably selecting colleges where we're going to get a discount because we're going to have a lot of kids in college and we want to make sure we're getting the benefit of, of, uh, of the discount. And I think most families with multiple kids want to at least know what those schools are. And so uh, uh, my point here is that all hope is not lost. Right. You just have to be an informed buyer and just simply have to know what those schools are that at least currently are going to offer that discount for multiple kids in college at the same time.
2: Yeah. What other there are some other changes? Mm -hmm. I know that um, like so we're in a we're in a central California here. So we have a farming family. Oh, my
3: (laughs) gosh. Well, let's talk about farmers, Yeah, farmers farmers.
2: and business. Yeah, because there's
3: another um, another huge change that is uh, uh, created a real outcry. A real outcry, we have farmers. It used to be that a family that had a working farm, in other words, they had a farm and they lived on that property, right, where they had the farm. The value of the farm was not assessed in the financial aid formula. So let's say, for example, I mean, this is going to be sort of like back of the napkin math here. Let's say their um, farm uh, was valued at a million dollars. All right. And there's an assessment in the formula that Sort of decreases, uh, they wouldn't have to pay that whole amount. But let's say it was um, the assessment was half a million dollars. All right. They were essentially not paying $30,000 a year because they weren't being assessed the value of their farm. All right. That was a $30,000 a year assessment that was not being applied to these farmers because the formulas were not assessing the value of their farm. Right. Now you add 30000 That's on a half, that was on a half a million dollars. Right. You add. $30,000 a year of family contribution to, uh, let's say the number's already 20, right? Now we're up to $50,000 a year of assessment. That's going to be devastating to many, if not most farms, small farms. Wouldn't you agree?
2: Absolutely. Well, that's going to be tough because, I mean, I mean, we're we're at, we're in the, for most farms, I mean, if, if they are 20 acres here and they're 20,000 an acre. I mean, just that alone, that's, you know, and some parcels are bigger. I mean, we're in the, you know, and that doesn't count the value of the house. If you add the house to that, you know, you're easily going to clip over that five, $600,000. Yeah. This is the
3: thing. There is a workaround to this. I think probably because it does require a little bit more planning uh, the good news, just like, you know, with the informed buyers, there are ways that families can avoid this. All right, that are not going to be generally known. But the bad news is that they're going to assess farms, and they're also assessing small businesses. Now, it used to be because you got a lot of small business owners. Absolutely, right? yeah. And yeah. The way that it worked is if you if your business employed less than 100 employees under the old formula, the net value, the net worth of your business was not assessed. Well, that's changed. They did away with that. Just like on the farm side, they did away with it. So there's a little bit of a of a um, assessment rate for the business. Uh, But still, it's being counted. And what I think is so unfair about that is, look, let's say you got a farm. That's what's tied into machinery, combines, tractors. How are you going to leverage that to pay for college? This is not access. How are you going to access these resources to pay for college? Even if you have a, let's say you've got a, a a print shop. You know, you're a small, closely held business. You run a print shop or something like that or you're a tailor, whatever the case may be, that's not available cash for you to pay for college. It's not like money sitting in a savings account, right? So what's going to happen, I think, at a practical uh, level for a lot of these people that don't know what they can do to avoid these, these situations, they're going to be very punitive. They're going to send their kids to lesser colleges or they're going to take out more student loan debt. And that's not only been a problem in the past, but that's becoming a bigger problem because interest rates have gone up right? So you have all these different factors that are conspiring. That's why it's never been more important to know what the heck you're doing here. There's way too much at stake for families to go into this thing blindly, like 90% of Americans are doing. Maybe it's 95%. And they're just going to get what they get. In other words, they're going to fill out the FAFSA. They're going to get an award letter back from a couple of schools. And they're going to say, now, how in the world are we going to pay for this? That is how people have been paying for college for too many years here in this country. That's how it's been working. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's no tactical planning ahead of time. And and perhaps, again, it's because people had no earthly idea there was another way. And if we've done anything in this podcast, it was to inform people, though, there is another way. And for those of you that want to apply a little bit of effort in figuring out what the workarounds are, they're there. And, uh, you know, you can probably get a fantastic uh, outcome uh, if you pursue some of these lines of attack.
2: Yeah. And we'll have, we'll have some resources for that at the, you know, during, at the end or at the links in the show. So that's, that's good. I think one kind of to wrap it up, you know, I've always said when someone asks, Jason, what's, how do you, what's college planning? What can, how do you describe it? And I said, uh, and this is kind of a bad analogy maybe, but, but again, it's money metaphors is the title. So I, you know, I'm coming up with something, but no, this is only, and also too, because I do it. So I don't know if you've ever reverse seared a steak, but you know, that's where you cook it slow and low, for a, for a period of 30 40 minutes and you can do that on a grill you can do that in an oven you can do that or you can do it in a sous vide you know you can you know which is like a lot of you know high class restaurants do but at the very end you you sear it you just seal in everything and then you know the been to a Ruth Chris steakhouse you're in a fancy steakhouse they bring it on a plate and it's sizzling that's technically what they're doing there but anyway the point I'm trying to make is that this that's college education because so between ages 0 and about 18 to 22, you're saving, you're slow cooking, right? You're putting money away, you're accumulating resources. But then you get to this last few years just before the kids go to school, and now you have to jump, you have to sear it. You got to turn up the heat (laughs) and you got to sear the steak and, you know, get it done. Or in this particular case, you know, get the kids prepared for school. And I just, what I don't think people are doing is, and we want to help and we want to empower them. We're very passionate about this, is inform people that. You know, these la- these few years before college, it's not always just about accumulating assets to pay for college. It's also strategies to save. So we want to um, make sure people are empowered to do that. And so, but Bill thanks for you know coordinating this. And Roger, thanks so much for your uh, communication today. And we have, we probably could have another podcast just on the strategies, which we might do. Mm-hmm. I think uh, another topic we might have soon would be one on college planning strategies for the small business owners. And we oh, yeah. can uh, do that and record that because that's paying your kids and um, is a unique strategy. And we want to have people leverage that. And uh, that's a good way to save for college. And so, You know, people are gonna have to be creative, and with these solutions that are now coming down the pike from um, the Department of Education. So, but uh, thanks for thanks for being on, and thanks for you know sharing all this. I know you have a lot of passion for it, and I know it's not theoretical because you've got the kids. You're you're uh, you're in it, and so that's nice. So,
3: yeah. If I would say one last thing, it would be that most people historically or typically have not thought of their advisor as the go-to person to help them with tactical college financial planning, which is really what we've been talking about here, right? They just think of their advisors. You know, they're going to help me save for college and savings important. No one is saying you shouldn't be saving, but there's a lot more to it. And the good news is, at least for people listening to this podcast, that they have a resource through you, somebody they can go to. They can actually help them in a way that really nobody else is going to help them and not something that uh, are really going to be able to DIY on their own. All right. Uh, it's uh, it's a little bit too complicated. Just try and DIY your way to a great outcome. Right. And there's no need to have to do that either if you have somebody that you know that you can go to and get some legitimate help from. So anyway, thanks again for having me on the uh, call. I appreciate it. Yeah. Roger.
1: Thank you very much. That, that was uh, a very interesting conversation and Jason, you're right. You could probably have two or three podcasts dealing with nothing, but coping with uh, college education, because it is an enormous expense and unless you've dealt with it before You almost can't imagine what it's going to do to your finances. I know you mentioned you're going to have some resources available, Jason. Where are those resources going to be and how can people reach out to get a hold of you if they want to have a further conversation about this?
2: In the notes of this podcast, they'll be available. There'll be a link uh, to we have a whole page on our website dedicated to college education. And our website, of course, is uh, www.coddingtonwealthadvisors.com. And uh, you can access them there and uh, welcome to uh, complete the information and go through it and, you know, just explore, explore the different, you can put different schools in there for your kids and just see what might be available. And if you have questions, then you don't you know, give us a call and we will uh, help guide you through that. And if you want to sit down and dive into it further, we'll gladly help you do that.
1: Yeah, I think Roger made a really good point, too. And I'll just I'll emphasize it as we're wrapping things up here. Most people have a financial advisor, do not think of financial advisors as a resource for this kind of stuff. They just, you know, it's like, how do I how do I get my investments in order? How do I get my savings in order? They don't think about going to their financial advisor going, I need some help. (laughs) I got a 10 year old kid at some point who's going to want to go to college. Can you help me sort this out or can you give me some insight into it? So. Really helpful podcast. Thank you for facilitating that conversation. Really appreciate it. And viewers, of course, we, we thank you for listening. Uh, you heard how to get a hold of Jason if you uh, want to talk more about this. I encourage you to do so. If you've got kids, because it's an important part of your life, you need to plan for. On behalf of Jason and everybody at Cottingham Wealth Advisors, I'm Bill Tucker. Thanking you for listening and reminding you,
0: don't wait. Go out and live your best life. Thank you for listening to Money Metaphors, exploring financial concepts through stories and analogies. Visit our website at www.coddingtonwealthadvisors.com or give us a call at 559-897-0040. Don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available.